Well, as Adele pointed out, our scripture is um, John 15, 1 through 17. She read from the New Revised Standard Version because that version has the word abide in it. It's the... That word is translated as remain in the NIV, which is what I'll be uh, reading from. But abide has a little more cachet than remain. Doesn't it? Abide just sounds a little more like you're at home in something. And so some of you have been wondering what uh, this mysterious blackboard is. And if you're observant, you can see that something's starting to take shape here. It's string art. So it's like you're in the 70s again. We should have a beaded curtain next to it maybe. Uh, But... The word abide has been outlined in nails, and we kind of counted, um, George and I tried to figure out how many nails were on this board, probably about 500. Um, and Dwayne did this with his, uh, with his um, pneumatic uh, nail setter. And um, there's, there's nails all around the edges, plus all around the words, and then a few random nails interspersed all throughout. And the goal is that we're going to fill this in as sort of a collaborative work of art. And the rule is just don't put string inside the letters, but put string everywhere else, however you want. And if you're interested in helping out after church today, sometime in the middle of the week, come by, before church next week, after church next week, whenever you want. There's a a chair to stand on. There's a giant box full of yarn of all different colors. It doesn't have to be white. Put your own, I started it just to kind of get it started, but do anything you want, and by, as this thing grows, we're going to have this beautiful artwork with the word abide kind of popping out of us, out at us, and to remind us that uh, the season we're going into is a season of abiding in Christ, being connected to him as branches are to the vine, drawing our life from him and loving each other because we're connected to each other through him. So, uh, Some of the mystery solved, perhaps, hopefully, and I really, anyone, if you like art, even if you don't like art, uh, come on up sometime whenever you feel like it and and add some string to it. We need to add a pair of scissors up here, maybe, Um, and then when you're done, just tie it off so it doesn't unravel, okay? So that's what I did. I tied tied one piece off, and uh, hopefully it won't come apart, and if you need to scrunch down on some of those nails to make more room, go ahead and just... uh, Go to town on it. Have fun. It'll be interesting to see what kind of collaborative work of art we were able to create. Well, I invite you to turn um, in your Bibles to John 15, 1 through 17. I want to say a few words of introduction about this first. Um, As Adele mentioned, this was a, a word from Jesus to his disciples. This was part of what's known as the farewell discourse. It's sort of the Sort of the final instructions, the final goodbye that Jesus gave to his disciples the night before he went to the cross. And it includes such beautiful things in chapter 17 as what what we know as the high priestly prayer where Jesus prays for his disciples. But here in uh, chapter 15, he's teaching them about what their community should look like after he's gone. And and he says, in essence, I'm going to be gone, but I'm still here spiritually as the center of who you are. I'm the vine. I'm the whole thing, but you're the branches of it. And so you're to abide in me and you're to stay connected in me. Now, I want to draw a contrast before, before we read it again. I want to draw a contrast with this and another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which kind of talks about what the, what the Christian body looks like. And there, the Apostle Paul uses the image of a human body. Some are hands, some are feet, some are the head, other parts are the ears, the eyes, etc. There's that uniqueness 
of the individual parts there that come together to form a body. So that's a really important teaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It gets in, then it gets into spiritual giftedness. This teaching is a little less individualistic, and so maybe a little less American, and a little more communal, and so a little more Middle Eastern. This idea is that you know, we're going to diminish a little bit the differences between ourselves because there's something bigger than ourselves that draws us together, the vine and the branches. And when you look at a vine, for, let's think of a grapevine. Generally speaking, all the branches look more or less like each other. Some have fruit on them, some don't, but they all have leaves on them. Some are longer, some are shorter, but they're all, all the leaves are green. All the fruits are purple. Uh, there's not there's not yellow, uh, except for in the fall, I suppose there's not uh, orange leaves or fuchsia leaves or anything like that. So I want us to hold that in tension, sort of creative tension. On one hand, the body is described as this co- collection of unique parts that form together and do something together, and that's 1 Corinthians. And in this passage, there's kind of a stronger pull towards this is a community of life together that has one center, and that center is Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more, but have that in mind as we read because of our penchant for individualism we can sometimes reject passages like that that call us into a kind of unity um let's go to our reading this is from the new international version so where you hear remain uh just think abide because i want to read the same one that you have in your in your in the pews john 15 1 through 17 I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, abide, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine." Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, so that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, abide, in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. All I want to do this morning is talk about some of the consequences of what would happen if we were to take this passage truly to heart as a church, as a body of believers that are connected for whatever reason in this place, geographically, temporally, in time, in this moment, okay? It's December 7th, 2014. It's 11.27 in the morning. You're at the corner of Oak and Truman in Los Altos, California. You're here. You're in this place because you're connected to this church some way, somehow, whether it was a few months ago that you came or a few decades ago that you came. Here you are. And here before us is a true and beautiful scripture, an astounding scripture, a set of instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples the night before he died as a template, a pattern for what their life together should look like after he goes. And it goes like this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Let your word abide. Let my word abide in you, and I will abide in you. All sorts of beautiful things going on. John is amazing. All these, have you noticed these, these themes kind of come back, but with a little bit of a change? John does that. He kind of layers themes on top of each other and then interweaves them together and it creates this incredible collage. I'm hoping maybe this, this work of art here is going to somehow resemble even the scripture passage itself, sort of this interweaving, interlayering uh, of themes and ideas that come together. And so what are some of these big themes? There's this organic theme. It's the one that I think back then people really would have gotten. If you were all vintners and had your own vineyard, you would have really gone, yeah, but you don't need to. You could have rose bushes. You could have a, a plant in your kitchen on, our, on your windowsill like we do. And um, the extent of how I understand this is uh, every time the leaves get a little brown, I think, oh, I better add some water to that. So I'm like the, the worst kind of gardener. By the way, if you, have a, if you have some kind of weed or bush in your yard and you are in, incapable of getting rid of it for whatever reason, Ask me to come to your house and to take care of it. And it will surely die the next day. This is, this is, that's my particular giftedness, is, is having the, the yellowest thumb you ever saw. I, but this little plant, even in our kitchen, sometimes the leaves turn brown, and I think, well, those leaves I'm just going to tear off. I'm just going to pluck them off. It's like a baby palm tree is what it is. And uh, if I pluck that one off, then it's not going to suck up any other nutrients from the ones that are still alive. And that's the extent of my, my horticultural um, ability. And the reason that plant doesn't die is because there's another person in our house. You know? So it, it somehow it lives, even through my care. But I want to highlight some of the things in this passage that really have some significance for us as a body here in this place in this time. And the first is this, is that this picture that Jesus draws of himself and his disciples is one of total interrelationship. He's at the center. He's the core. He's the stem. He's the trunk of the tree or whatever you want to say. And everyone else are the disciples and they are the branches. They all grow off from him. So they're not the source. They're not the center. They're not the middle. 
They're in the periphery, yet they're important, of course. But Christ is at the center. Even though you may have two different branches on two different sides of the vine, yet they are connected to each other through Christ at the center. And that, that sense of nutrition, the sap, coming, the, the water coming up from the ground, the nutrients coming up from the ground, it's flowing like a circulation system between all of these things. And so as a believer, you have the same sap in you as another believer. You just do. Now, what is that sap? It's the spiritual sap. It's the sap. It's the connectedness to Christ. It's Christ's life in you. It's the same thing. Um, and keeping with that sense of being connected with each other, on one level, just on one level, we're not all that different from each other. Now, granted, on another level, we are very different from each other, and that's by God's design. Take that and let's put that over there for some other day. But on one level, we're, all not, we're not that different from each other because we're all branches. And branches generally look pretty much the same. They all have leaves. They all have bark. They all have growth. And some of them have fruits that we can see, and some of them have fruits that haven't budded out yet. And some of them evidently are incapable of producing fruit for whatever reason. We'll get to that. One part of being interconnected, though, is that we can strengthen each other. Imagine a plant and one half of it, maybe that's not a real tree, so I'm not going to point at that, but some tree back there and something falls on one half of that tree and that half gets damaged somehow or injured. The nutrients and the, the life of that plant, some of it will go over to the other side and try to revive that other side. When you're connected together as a body, you determine when part of the body is wounded and you go, and you, you go over and you offer help and you offer healing. Another feature of this metaphor, of this vine metaphor, is that there's very little hierarchy in it. In fact, there's exactly one, there's exactly two levels, right? One is the center of the vine, Christ, and the rest is the branches. There's no talk about bigger branches or smaller branches or prettier branches or uglier branches or anything like that. It's a very if you want to talk about a management level, it's extremely flat management model, right? There's one manager, Jesus. Everybody else is, is a, has a cubicle. So Jesus has the corner office with the window. Everybody else has a cubicle. I used to work in a cubicle. It was horrible. Does anyone here work in a cubicle? Oh. Zach works in a cubicle? I can't believe it. Um, well, good for her. That's good. Well, that's, that's smart. Okay. Well, uh, we got one guy in the corner office and everybody else is in cubicles. And so within us, even, even though we have different gifts, God doesn't value any one of us more than the other. We're all equally capable of producing fruit. Now, the reality is that not all of us produce fruit at the same rate. Not all of us have started uh, to produce fruit. But one thing that you get from this when you read this and... A lot of the other agricultural metaphors and parables in the scriptures is that fruit is expected. It's not optional. It's not like, oh, maybe, maybe someday you'll produce fruit if, if you feel like it or if it's a good thing. No, it's pretty much expected. 
A branch is supposed to produce fruit. That's what the branch is there for. That's what it gets that life from the center from, is at some point, somehow, some way, somewhere, to produce some fruit. And we talked about it a little bit. Adele talked about what some of that fruit is. That fruit could be the spiritual fruit, the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You remember that? The other fruits is the fruits of discipleship, the fruits of service to God, the fruits of bringing other people into the body and, making, and, and grafting on new branches into this vine. There's a lot of kinds of fruit. But here's maybe the hard edge of this, and this is right at the beginning. My father is the gardener. He expects fruit. But he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And even the branches that do bear fruit, he prunes them so that they will be even more fruitful. The gardener's interested in fruit. The gardener is interested in production. Uh, and that, you could take that as a difficult law. Take that as a difficult, stern word from the Scripture. I, I want to show us later that perhaps it's more of an outcome of just being connected to the vine in an authentic way is what produces fruit. But the warning is here. A branch that produces no fruit in time will be cut off from the vine. And the branch, as we see later on, that is apart from the vine, it will wither up and dry up, and it'll be used to start a fire somewhere. It'll be burned up. It'll be gone. Even the branch that produces some fruit will be pruned and disciplined, per se. It will be helped. It will be cared for in a loving way, but in a way that's designed to help it to bear much more fruit. And um, that's an area where we probably will spend some time in the coming weeks and months thinking about that. All I can say for myself is that this is something I feel like has happened in my life. Um, as I've gotten older, as I've walked with the Lord, that there's been parts of my life that were producing fruits but there was another part of my life that really wasn't. It was doing other things. It was interested in other things. It was spending time and resources and energy on things that really didn't matter in the long run. And the one prayer that God will consistently answer, you know how people say, ask God, and he'll either say yes, no, or wait a while? Well, there's one prayer where God will always say yes right away. And that prayer is, God, start pruning me now. And it seems like, I can't promise for God, but it seems like that prayer gets answered right quick. No waste of time on that one. It's a difficult prayer to pray. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. It's a risky prayer to pray. God, help me to cut away those things that aren't producing fruit. And it could be whatever. It could be whatever. But I, and, and I could say that I haven't even arrived. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, that that prayer is answered. It has been answered for me. And God has shown me those parts only of my life. I, I, I can't presume to do this for anyone else. Those parts of my life that were not productive. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's parts of your life that could look like play. And that actually is productive. There's parts of your life that look like rest. 
that's actually productive. Those are good disciplines of, ma- of making yourself a whole and complete person. I'm not talking about those, those good things, those good things that God commands when he asks you to take the Sabbath and rest and relax. Those things may look to our world like they're not productive, but for God's world, those could be, could be quite productive. Those are times of your interior life where God can really speak into you. So don't cut those out. That's not what I'm saying, just to be clear. But there are other parts of our lives when we're so distracted from what God is doing. We're so distracted we don't even see the world around us in reality. We're so distracted that we're torn out of relationships with other people and we really are almost like taking our branch and detaching it from the vine. There are areas of our life that look like that. And I, I think it's better to preemptively ask God to prune those away than to be stuck in the place where that becomes our entire life and now we're a branch apart from the vine and it dries up and withers and is thrown in the fire. I want to talk about there are different kinds of branches. Some branches are new. We have three new branches up here. I'm excited to see what these three branches will do. Um, We have young branches and we have older branches. Um, And I guess they would look a little different. The, The younger branches are maybe shorter. The older branches are thicker and maybe a little more gnarled and have a little more character. And some of them are characters. Listen to this, though. An older branch is not less productive. I think often an older branch is more productive. An older branch is, has lived longer. I read somewhere, and I'm not sure if this is true, because like I said, I'm a terrible horticulturalist, but there are some species of oak that don't produce acorns until they're 50 years old. The first 49 years, they're just getting ready to fruit. And it could be that way in this vine, too. Um, my supervisor, when I was an intern pastor at the, at the American church in Oslo, Norway, um, I guess he was from the school of hard knocks. He wanted to, uh, his name was Richard Solberg. He really wanted to help me understand where I, where I stood. And I was, I think I was 24 or 25 at the time. He said, you're not going to be a good preacher until you're 50. Nobody will. That was his take. Nobody's a good preacher until they're 50. And I said, yeah, right. But, he's tr- but I think he's right. I think he's right. Now that I'm 45, I think I'm, I'm kind of in the home stretch. So this feels good. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. I know he, Zach is in his 30s. You got a long way to go, brother. <laughs> Me, just a little way. Five years is like a blink of an eye. But there's some truth in that. The longer you live, the more you understand what's important. The less time you waste on things that aren't important. The more you know, the more you're able to put it together and use it for God. It takes a really exceptional younger person to be able to do that. And so if you're an older branch, I'm going to actually challenge you right now to say, these should be your most productive years of your life. The only thing that's working against me, and I'm only speaking for myself, is the older I get... The more I know, but the more I'm forgetting, which drives me crazy. I don't know where my brain is going. Partly it's because I don't sleep much with a newborn baby in the house. So there's that kind of juncture there where you know where you kind of have a hard time, at least for me, remembering it all. But yet, an older branch is a productive branch. We have a lot that we can 
learn from our older branches and a lot that we actually expect our older branches to produce, and they do. However, remember the scripture where it says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. There are some exceptional young branches in every vine, too, that produce fruit as well. And yes, there are some good preachers who are under 50. There's no doubt about that. I think uh, Richard Solberg, if you're listening, you're mostly right. Let's put it that way. Finally, actually second to last, it's about grace and forgiveness in this branch, uh, in this vine. If we're connected together through Christ at the center, then we're all part of one organism. The same sap is flowing through us as is flowing through another branch in the, in the vine. And if we're connected together through Christ, then there cannot be any unresolved anger and unforgiveness in our vine. Because that would be the vine attacking itself. And a vine that attacks itself is not going to do anything. Um, Not only that, but there cannot be because Christ is at the center. Christ is the thing that animates us all together. And so if there is unresolved anger and unforgiveness between us, something is seriously wrong with the community that has committed itself to the life of Christ. Something has to be addressed. So a healthy vine will actually air out its differences in a healthy way. It'll name them. It'll mine for conflict. If some of you remember that from last summer, it'll get that stuff out there so that we can deal with it and forgive each other and move forward. An unhealthy vine will leave it to fester. And instead of what a fruit growing on that branch, it will be this malignancy growing there, which will infect the entire vine and destroy it. Things like um, passive aggressive behavior, triangulation, gossip, secrets, things like that, they can no longer exist in a healthy vine. They can't go. They can't go. And that might be some of the pruning that has to happen in a body is we have this desire to see the fruit of love for each other. Not only do we not engage in those things, but we lovingly confront those who do because we want the vine to do well. We want us to all to be fruitful. And so there's no room for that behavior in the vine. The last thing, I said the last one was the second to last, so this is the last thing, is this sense of abiding. Um, I worry a little bit about this passage and the word, the think, the, the, how it says the gardener is expecting production. The gardener expects fruit from every branch. And um, I have this image of a bunch of gerbils inside a giant wheel, you know, kind of <laughs> running endlessly, trying to produce something, trying to produce fruit. Well, you know, I have to go out. I don't have time to spend with my family tonight because I have to go out door to door and proselytize all these people. End up kind of looking like the Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that. Those people have no free time. Ask them, you know, what do you do for fun? Oh, I don't have any hobbies or anything. I just go and do this stuff. That's taking it too far. They didn't create room for rest. They didn't create room for the interior life. They didn't create room for abiding in Christ. When you abide in Christ, it means you're connected with him. It means you're living with him. It means you're remaining in him. And it means you're sitting there long enough for his sap to go out of him and into you. And in just a few minutes, you're going to get a taste 
of that life-giving food that he gives us. We're going to come to the table and receive it. When you abide in Christ long enough, his life enters you. And here's the beautiful thing. Do you have to produce fruit? No. You will produce fruit. This is an important distinction. Do you have to produce fruit? No. You will produce fruit when you are connected to the life-giving energy of Jesus Christ that comes from being connected to him. And that fruit will come when the Spirit makes it come. There's something, there's something that you can't do to make that happen. You let con- go of control of your own fruitfulness and the Spirit will blow when it wills and that fruit will come. Healthy things grow. Healthy plants grow, healthy people grow, healthy babies grow, healthy churches grow. One way or another, whether it's deeper into discipleship, numerically, biologically, ours happens to be growing by three kids in three months, that's okay. That's one way. I think God wants us to produce other things, though, too, and I think we will. I'm hopeful that we will. I'm enthusiastic that we will. I think we're on the right track. I think we've gotten a lot healthier I think our foundation in the word is good. If my word abides in you, I will abide in you. Christ is with us. He's at the center. We're a flat organizational model. We're connected to each other through him. He's asking us simply this. Abide in me. The rest will take care of itself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for his word to us this last night before he went to the cross. Thank you for his loving and connected advice to us on how to live together as a family. Lord, be with us now as we receive your son here at the table. Amen.